So you can cope with that really difficult work. You can cope with the, the sleepless nights and the, the working every weekend because you know as soon as you hit that next mark, you can afford to take on your next person will help you, the next office member. And you can start doing that in advance. So instead of waiting until it happens, you can start putting the recruitment adverts in, trying to recruit that extra person or developing one of your current staff into that role early enough so that once you hit that mark, you can put them in place. And then it's the same as you go up along the hall. Tea with Toby. 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 Hi, I'm Cameron from Smooth Digital and welcome to Tea with Toby, the show where we ask and answer the questions playing on the minds of care business leaders. This week's episode is sponsored by Everlife Technology and we're going to kick off the show with a few words from our marketing strategy director, Toby Ali Usman. Well, it's great to be here and great to be in season two. And if anyone's new to the show, let me just give you some background on why they set this up. So Westmove Digital and our ultimate aim is to help care businesses, both home care and care homes, maximize their ability to provide the very best care in their communities. Now we know as care business leaders, you face challenges. So we want this to be the podcast where you put the kettle on, sit back and listen to growth focused conversations and can walk away with tangible tips. Now, before we start, I just want to give a shout out to Google for allowing us to record in their uh, Google Studios. And on that note, I want to welcome our first ever guest to the podcast, Simon Crowthorpe. Hi, Toby. Are we, are we clapping? Just before we get off into the meat of the actual podcast, for the audience's benefit, Simon, do you want to give us a little background on yourself and your area of expertise? In the sector? Yeah, I've been working in social care for 20 years now. Um, I came from quite a diverse background. I was an engineer, I've been a soldier, I have worked for banking, in, in international banking as a project manager. Um, didn't like the corporate life, left, wanted something more meaningful, and set up a domiciliary care business with my brother. Um, just as it was about 2001, we set that up. And over a fairly short period of time, we realized that. Um, it was quite a new, a new business, um, very, very in its infancy as, as, a, as an organisation, um, and we could bring an awful lot of, of big business way of doing things, the best things, but into a small business environment. So we ended up um, growing that business um, from a startup where I went out. I was, I put the gloves on. I was out changing incontinence pads. I was out doing the visits. I was doing the on call. Absolutely started from, from rock bottom. And we built it up to seven branches, contracting with 10 local authorities um, and having about 450, 500 staff. Mm -hmm. um, and at which point then we sold that then to a large PLC and we exited the market completely. Um, in that time, we've also owned um, nursing homes and care homes. We bought them, turned them around, sold them, some to a um, better degree of success than others. Um, and then I've also run um, training businesses because I, I got very... Um, annoyed at the fact that some of the training providers were way back in the day couldn't deliver. They were good at delivering certificates to my staff, but my staff weren't any better at their job. And I wanted my staff to be the best so that my service users got the best care. Everything was around what the service users did. Everything was about the service user. So I ended up setting up my own training company so I could deliver training in the way that I wanted my staff to do things. 
Um, and then when we sold the, the, the home care business and the nursing homes, um, I kept the training company, uh, sold that eventually, moved out of the care sector completely, did something totally unrelated, and set up an e-commerce business selling uh, boxing and mixed martial arts equipment. Um, so it wasn't anything related. Um, and then ended up coming back into it again. I think it's something that, it, it, it's a very high pressure environment and, and anybody watching this knows that. It's a very high pressure environment. Can, you can get burnt out quite quickly, but it's also something that has a huge amount of reward. And once you've kind of worked in the sector, it's very difficult to leave it. You want to come yeah. back because nowhere else is a sense of, of satisfaction, you know, as well it can burn you out, but at the same time, it can also give a lot back. Um, so I ended up coming back, Went, did, did a little bit of work for one of the huge providers, one of the biggest home care providers, didn't like it, realised that I'm not a corporate person at all, um, that didn't last very long, left and started doing bits of consultancy, and I ended up then doing some work for um, a local authority where I set up a specialist service for them. They, they created, um, I did all the research and the business planning to create a um, a domiciliary care business that was a private sector business, a for-profit business operating in the commercial and the private sector, but was 100% owned by the local authority. So we set it up as a, as a, it wasn't even arm's length, it was a completely separate business that operated commercially, and still, that's still going today. Um, and that was a specialist reablement service. So that was dealing with step down from um, discharge to assess, coming out of hospitals to, to um, to assist with, with the delayed um, transfers to, to the care, the detox figures, um, more common on bed blocking, but um, to try and reduce that. Um, people would be discharged into our care, we would spend 48 hours assessing them and then decide whether they could go on their reablement pathway. So we had um, occupational therapists working on full-time working, working in the company and we trained the care staff up to be occupational therapist assistants so that then they would implement a reablement plan rather than a standard home care plan. And then at the end of that reablement plan, they would look at and see, um, would that person need any more care? Would they transfer to other care? Would they stay with us or whatever? And then from that, um, I decided that I really did want to stay in the sector. So I kind of reinvigorated the training company again and started doing the consultancy. And that's where I'm now. I'm working with care providers, um, providing training, providing diplomas, um, providing clinical training, but also providing consultancy, trying to get my experience that... I've made a heck of a lot of mistakes along that journey mm. and giving people so that, you know, the phrase I say is, I've made the mistakes so you don't have to, so that I know how to run a dom care business, I know how to do it, so it's very, very high level of very high level care, but at the same time profitable and at the same time without killing the owner or the registered manager, yeah. you know, so they're not running around like headless chickens working 60, 70 hour weeks, but actually the thing works yeah. so you know over the, these years i've kind of hopefully cobbled together some ideas that enable this to work so that i do i do a little bit of that as well so it's looking at not just providing the mock cqc inspections that we do not just providing uh, advice on training but actually looking at something holistically and saying actually if you look at marketing if you look at your finances if you look at your kpis and trying to make that business work for not just the owners the staff and the service users. So the service users get the best level of care, the staff actually enjoy working there and are not put upon, and the owners can actually, and the registered manager as well, can actually have a life and, and enjoy the work. So that's where we are today. That's an extensive history. And that's yeah. nice. a legend in this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's so much learned that people listen in, and yeah. whether it 
favorites, Spotify, iTunes, or on YouTube, can get from this or LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start from the top level. Okay. Some people, you've you've mentioned in your experience, you've sold a domiciliary repair business. Yes. The question I have for you is, what are some of the things which maximize the valuation of a domiciliary care business? Obviously, the market forces dictate at the time who is buying and what's buying and what and who is, you know, that dictates the price. So you can never say how much it's worth. Um, what you can say is that the, you'll get the best price for the best care business. And that means it has to have good care. So you've got to have a good and outstanding grades from CQC. Okay. There has to be history there. It's not just a one-off grade. You've got three, four years of good and outstanding care. Mm. The second thing is got to be run without the owner. So many care organisations require the owner to be, or, or the registered manager to be there, working, doing almost everything themselves. It has to be able to run smoothly without the owner there. It has to be able to run smoothly with the registered manager on holiday. So they can go on holiday, come back, and nothing has changed. And it can, it can be done, and people are doing it. Uh, there's probably people work, you know, looking at this now and saying, how the heck do I do that? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm running around like a lunatic and mm -hmm. I'm always answering the phone, but it can be done. The next, yeah. the next thing then is, um, it's got to be run smoothly, it's got to um, have good care, it's got to have good accounts, it's got to be profitable, and it has to have, um, you'll get then maximise it with, with more than one branch, so if you're on more than one contract. So if you're looking at local authority um, funded care, if, you've, if you're contracting with more than one local authority, you're spreading the risk. If you've got more than one branch, you're spreading the risk. If you have well-established relationships where you're also, even within one local authority, you're doing part local authority work, um, part private work, um, you've got different contracts, so you might be doing some high-end care, you might be doing some continuing healthcare work for the NHS. So you've got a variety of different income streams coming on, so you're not relying on one. Um, it's very well run and you've got multiple sites and the more sites you have um, and the more that it runs without you the higher the multiples go up that people are prepared to so let's delve in a little bit more into that yeah because some registered managers are probably thinking how can I run the business without me being there yeah so you mentioned processes and systems what type of processes and systems are you talking about it's it's quite simple actually and every single action you have should be systemized there should be a procedure for everything. And people, you know, the government will buy a set of policies and procedures, but so often they don't follow them or they're not followed exactly. Yeah. So let's take a classic is um, sickness. You'll hear people moaning about sickness all the time. And then when I go in and say, well, when did you last do a return to work interview? Well, I didn't, it was too busy. You have to have a procedure in place and follow it to the letter all the time. That procedure is then written and you train the people how to follow that procedure. And that's absolutely everything. So there's a procedure and a system for absolutely everything. It's written down how to do it. And more importantly, people are trained how to do it. So often I see care agencies where they get themselves into a state where they've taken on the work, they have a couple of carers leave or go sick, they can't then cover the visits, so they're desperately trying to re recruit. They then recruit and then they run into the habit of not quite training everybody to the level they'd like to, or perhaps quitting some corner, or perhaps just doing the minimum level instead of really investing their time in that person. Um, and it's that continual cycle. It's difficult, you know, it's difficult to get on top of it, but it can be done. And it can be done over a period of time. So you systemize absolutely everything from ordering stationery to, um, 
you know, how to handle calls coming in, to how the on-call works, everything is written down in the system. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of systems as well. Cameron yeah, knows absolutely. in our business, we're fully systematized. And there's a book called Built to Sell. Right. Yeah. There's a book called yeah. The E-Myth Revisited. Yeah. They're the two books yeah. I advise all my clients to read. Yeah. First one, 100%. read The E-Myth, read um, Built to Sell. Yeah. And yeah. even from our perspective, listening to clients, mm. Sometimes they're so busy working in the business, yeah. they don't get to work on, on the business. Yeah. But a question I have for you, it relates to the training. Mm -hmm. You're big on training. Yeah. Was there a connection between your days in the army and running this home care business? Was there some, were there some skills which you passed yeah. on? It, it's more of an ethos, mm -hmm. to be honest. And there was a bit of a, a light bulb moment. Um, and I was sat there thinking, you know, I've been through the same stage that everybody else has been through. You know, I'm thinking, wow, why is it that my staff turnover is high and I can't get older people? They're not doing what I want to do and this. And I thought, wait a minute. When I was in command of soldiers, the soldiers could be brought into the army with no qualifications, no background, nothing at all, yet put into a position where eventually they were doing some quite complex operations in difficult circumstances. And that came down to the fact that A, everything was systemized, but B, people were trained on that system. They put the investments early on to select the right people, and that's that's absolutely crucial, is selecting the right people. You know, you go on to values-based recruitment, you go on to skills for care, you can pull down all the information on values-based recruitment. So you are selecting the right people in the first place, then you put them on a proper training program, not just a quick e-learning or just doing the care certificate, but actually really investing in those people so they stay with you, they feel valued, and they really understand that job. And the more effort you put in at the beginning, yes, it costs more money, but it really saves you a fortune down the line because that those people stay, they understand the job, and then it's not just in the staff. Where I see a lot of people falling down is they don't invest in that first line manager, that first line manager being the senior carer. So we used to run, we developed a, a one-week training program just for seniors. So it was taken away from work, it was a separate, it was one week off work, every day in the classroom, going through scenarios, going through on-call scenarios, going through what's likely to happen, going through the paperwork. And then even when they finished that classroom session, we would then go and carry on with shadowing where the registered manager would then help out and mentor and shadow that senior. So we were really putting a lot of, and that went all the way through. So it happened from carers to seniors, to care managers, to the registered manager. So I'm then um, mentoring the registered managers who are fantastic caring people, but I'm then teaching them how to do the business side, how to set up the systems. And, and that was absolutely vital, is putting that resource, that training resource into people. Not just getting the tick in the box, oh, I've done my mandatory, not just getting the tick in the box saying, yeah, I've got my level two, my level three, and everybody's doing that, but actually investing in that people or in those people. Mm. That made a huge difference. It's not an overnight thing. Yeah. You don't see it straight away. And that's why people share like shut shy away from it. They also see that they'll take people on board and then staff will leave after they've put in all that work. Yeah. That's just part of it. If you can accept that, that that's part of it, the, the staff that do stay with you will give you 10 times that return later on. And then you build on that base as you go along. So staying on the sort of theme of mm -hmm. building up the valuation for sale, you've got your processes, your systems mm -hmm. in place, you've got your training in place, what are the other sort of cogs that help build up that valuation? Um, 
you've got it's got to be good leadership. And like I say, the key, the absolute key thing is it to be able to run without you. That that's the goal. If you can get that business to run without you in present, that's when it's worth something. And it's got to be profitable. So you can get it to work without you, but it might make it a tiny profit. And it's great. You might be as an as a manager or as, a, as an owner taking a certain amount of income out of that and you're happy with that. But actually, you might be able to increase that profit, not by actually increasing your rates to the to service users, not by decreasing your staff pay rates, quite the reverse, you might actually be able to increase your staff pay rates, but looking at the back end of your systems and seeing how efficient you are, um, you can, you can look, especially nowadays, you know, there's so many IT products out there, digital digitization of things that will make everything far more efficient. You have to look at every process, and this is why you systemize it. You can look at a system that you do um, and then think, right, is this too long-winded? Can I take a chunk out of that system and make it shorter and more, um, you know, more efficient? Can I automate it? Can I outsource it? If I'm outsourcing something, can I bring it in? So it's been able to look at your, you know, a lot of care agents again, they'll leave the accountant, the accounts to the accountant, and they're only interested in they get the accounts back and have they made a profit and can they pay the staff? And have they got enough profit to, to make them some to pay themselves? Mm -hmm. Actually, you've got to take a bit more interest than that to say, am I getting the best value of this? Every single supplier you look at saying, um, right, do I get my, can I get my gloves cheaper? Can I get this cheaper? Can I that? But actually looking at how you do things in your office, is this the most cost-effective way of doing something? If you've got a training room and you've got, a, if you're big enough to have, say, a full-time training manager, and I was talking about this with one of my clients the other day, they have a full-time training manager. So that's a cost to the business. They run training, which is brilliant, really good quality training. They're, they're a good, rated a good provider and they've got one of their, one outstanding and under caring. So really good training program. So I said, why don't you, if you've got a training room and a trainer, why don't you open up your um, training and train some of the local care homes and staff and charge 20 or 30 quid? And they can come on your training program. And we, we sat there and did a very quick calculation. And it worked out that if they just ran one training course a month they opened up, the wages of the trainer was covered completely. Mm. Um, so it's just little, that's just one little thing. Yeah. But for that situation, that's 20,000 straight on the... Straight on the bottom line, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're doing multiples of three, yeah. you know, that's decent amount of money. You know, straight, straight on the bottom line. That's just one thing as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's looking at that, it's, it's understanding how your business works as a business. Yeah. And quite often in the care sector, business can be a dirty word. Well, it shouldn't be a dirty word. If the care you are delivering to that individual is really altering their life. If that individual, and that's why you've got to be trying to look to become that outstanding business. You know, not just because you want to be, but actually it's got it's got an economic value, but also that the reason that you're in care and no, no other business is because you want to make a difference to somebody's life. Well, that's what it should be. So if you can do that, then that's what you should be doing. It's, everything should be geared towards that service user. Now, in a very short period of time, you grew to seven branches, 500 mm -hmm. staff. Tell me a little bit about what you had going on from a sales and marketing point of view, from a consistent recruitment leads and customer inquiries as well. I mostly stuck with um, local authority contracts back then. I was local authority and NHS contracts. So the sales and marketing was around two areas. It was mostly a tender-based business. Um, so I'm writing tenders. 
But also, I was getting involved at quite a high level with working groups with local authorities. So when you're working at, and this is the advantage of when you set up a business that then doesn't need you every day, you can either go on holiday a lot, you can go on the golf course, you can do your, you know, your leisure time, exactly. or you can do other stuff that you can't do when you're working in the business. And that meant I was on every working group, I worked with local authorities on new ideas, I, got, I volunteered on places, I worked all over the place. And it meant that I was also had a bit of an influence in the types of tenders that were going on. I knew what was going to come down the line. So therefore, not explicitly, I just got the idea of, you know, anybody that works on the working groups got, you, you, you're dictating the, the flow of it all. So that's how I designed my delivery. So that when the tenders came around, I, I had the perfect delivery already. Um, I also bought businesses. You know, I bought failing businesses, um, businesses that weren't working very well, businesses that we just took over, which were an absolute mess, and we turned them around. And that was a way of, we took over a business, buying it very, very cheaply because it was about to go bust. We turned it around within about six months, and that immediately added a 1,000 hours into our business. So let, let's get into that. Yeah. What, what were the things that you had to turn around to actually produce that result? That was actually pretty easy. Um, the registered manager was actually pretty good, the, but the owners weren't listening to the registered manager. There was a lack of leadership there, a real lack of leadership. So because the owners weren't looking at the registered manager and were micromanaging, the registered manager was getting really disheartened. That disheartened, that culture was feeding down to the staff. So that when we went in, we gave the manager what, what she needed and what she, we gave them the tools to do the job. So we invested in that business. So although it cost us nothing to get the business, it cost us quite a bit of money in investment to say, well, we need the training programs. You need a training room. You need to increase the staff wage. You need to start paying mileage. We need to up the salary of the manager. Um, we need to listen to the staff. We need to start staff meetings. We need to pay the staff to attend staff meetings. And pretty soon, everybody got on board with it. And that turned around very, very quickly. So I know over and above this conversation, um, and the workshops we've done in the past, mm -hmm. you're huge on uh, recruitment mm -hmm. and spending money on recruitment when it comes to marketing. Absolutely. It's whether you're marketing your business or recruiting, it's two sides of the same coin. So you're setting up um, pipelines, and it's this is in any other business other than care, this is not this is standard stuff, but in care it's not usually used that great deal. So on recruitment, you have to sell the job. There's no point just saying, sticking an advert on Indeed or sticking an advert on Facebook that says, care wanted, must have their own car. That's what everybody says. Yeah. Right? That's not why people are coming into the care sector. And, and the, 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 there was actually a bit of a, a light bulb moment for me. And it was, I was in the queue at McDonald's up in Lancashire uh, in one of the areas. Of, and I was looking around and I saw a recruitment poster for McDonald's. And it didn't say come and flip burgers for minimum wage. Mm. It said, join our crew. Yeah. And all, that's all it said, nothing else, join our crew. And there was a picture of three people, smiley face, looking, and it was just that image of, that made you think, oh, this is a cool place. Mm. But it's not, it's, you're flipping burgers for minimum wage. So I go, wait a minute, it's, the care sector's got so much more to offer. Um, you could come onto the care sector as, a minimum wage care with no qualifications. You can end up getting funded through level two, level three, level four MVQs. You can do all your other training. You can then 
start an apprenticeship elsewhere and start looking at actually I'm going to either go from being a you know, care assistant to a senior carer to a care manager to a registered manager actually and um, you know to being an area manager for a large multi-site organization and you can do that quite quickly or you can say actually I'm going to go down the clinical route I'm going to become a social worker a nurse an occupational therapist and use it as a stepping stone or, or a ladder on the career ladder, use care to get into those careers. And nobody promotes this. If you promote that and you promote the job and promote the career, you can then start hopefully attracting people who never would have thought to go into care because all they hear is the negativity in, in the press. What they don't realise is, actually, I can make a proper career out of this. This is a really good career full of a whole host of opportunities. So. Actually, if you plan to lose your carers, I know that sounds a bit counterintuitive, but if you've been carers on, train them up, and then they go off to bigger and better things, and you've created that pipeline of people coming in, if you've had that care for two or three years, then they've been beneficial to your business. And if they go, they go on good terms to a better or, or a different job that you can't offer, that's fine. But then people will realize that you are the opportunity. You're providing the opportunity for them to do better in their lives and they can come on board with you. Treating your staff, and, and not everybody wants a career. Some carers just want, you know, the thing, another thing that I see is very basic, is people get into a mess with the rotors. They don't template their rotors and they don't set up rotor runs. They're, they're trying, they lose track in it. The domiciliary care can unravel very, very quickly. So it can be running really good one day and then suddenly it all starts falling apart if you don't keep on top of it. Um, and one of those things is, um, Getting, having people with regular runs, regular rotors that don't change a great deal, um, and then the carers will stay with you. And you don't have the, you know, that's what people want. They want to know where they're going for the day, do the work with them, build the relationships with the uh, the service users, and go home satisfied at night. So if you've got this recruitment funnel where you're constantly recruiting, and that's the thing, you don't recruit for gaps, you recruit constantly because there's always somebody wanting care. Mm. So you constantly recruit. And you have that pipeline where, yes, people phone up, phoning up, going into an interview, interview, going onto the induction course, induction course, going into continuation training. But again, that's going to be a slick, professional, systemized thing. So you don't want the person on call taking phone calls from prospective candidates because the person on call is having enough trouble trying to cover the visits that somebody's just gone sick and they'll get fed up with it. For a very, very small amount of money, you can have a virtual PA take all the calls. So you're not mithering the person who is on call. And it sounds more professional. And you want to sell that job and sell the idea of the job all the way through. So you're selling it on the website. If they make a call, you do a little sales pitch about how great it is to work in care in general and for your company in particular. When they come to interview, you tell them, you do a bit of a sales pitch again about how great it is to work in care, what, why your company is better than others. Give them a brochure. If you've got a brochure for a client, why wouldn't you have a brochure for a carer? Give them a brochure to download or that you email to them or physically give them when they turn up that tells them about your company. But again, it's a bit of a sales pitch in there about what, what they're coming from. So you've got this sales mentality where you're selling the job and selling your, your business to that individual to make them want to come to you. Yeah. One of the things we see as well is um, just putting out there and being like blunt some recruitment managers have been pretty lazy when it comes to inbound inquiries coming through. 
And sometimes they favoritize certain platforms. Mm. So let's say, for example, an inquiry is coming in from uh, Indeed. That person's already a carer. They, the conversation that they have with the recruitment executive is probably very direct. Mm. Do you pay in between jobs? They already know what CQC is. Yeah. Versus someone who's working in a completely different industry. Yeah. Like you said, you've got to excite them about the opportunity. Mm. You've got to excite them about the specific company. And if they've got 50 calls to make in one day, it becomes, let's just call the Indeed guys. Mm. And it's quite draining. So that's a good point that you've just touched on there as well. Yeah, I mean, you should have, you know, you set up, again, talking about systems, each one of the, you know, whether you're using Indeed, whether you're using Facebook, whether you're using Google Paper Clicks, whether you're doing a flyer drop, whether you're doing, setting yourself on a market store in a local market on market day in the town, whether you're setting yourself up on the high street in the town, um, whether you're going out physically firing people's cars in, in car parks, whether you're um, going to talk at um, Alzheimer's Society events, whether you're running, um, if you've got the facility, why not run some um, training courses for, um, for people to, or a tester, a taster to come and see and understand what the care set is like whether you're setting up in job centres. I mean, these are just 10 things that I've just come off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, you can sit there and come up with another 20. All, all we've got, you know, that's a channel in marketing terms. That Each one of those is a channel. You should be looking at every single one of those channels. So if you've got a recruitment manager, the owner of the business, or the directors of the business, or the managers of the business, should be setting key performance indicators to that recruitment person and saying, right, show me the activity you're having on each channel. So they're not just going for the lazy one and the expensive one, which mm. is indeed. But then you should also be looking at the quality of the advert. Are you, is your advert just saying the same as everybody else? Is it just saying, come and work for us, you know, must have a car, must have a pulse, you know, <laughs> and that's it, you know? So I'm just conscious of the time. Producer Cameron's looking over at me. I just make sure this is punchy. So just two more questions. Yeah. You do quite a bit of coaching now yeah. with home care businesses. Mm -hmm. Are there any common challenges that you find that they have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I deal with different sizes from people who are very well established, you know, multi-site, um, who just want to get bigger, um, or complete startups where they might be doing, you know, 200 hours and they want to get up to, you know, a thousand hours for the first, first step. And look at the smaller guy, that their problems are the same. Is I've talked a lot today about um, systemizing your business, not working in the business, working on the business. The fact is you can't when you're first start, you know, you have to do everything. So that, that it's very difficult to take that step back. But what happens is if they haven't planned ahead, they end up getting caught up in that and never being able to withdraw it. So there'll be people now listening who get this, you know, they'll be out, the phone will be, they'll be doing yet another weekend because the staff have let them down. They'll be on call all the time and they can't figure out how to take that step back and the fact is, if you plan that from the very beginning, so that you know, for example, say you want to go from 200 hours to 1,000 hours, that's an increase of 800 hours. So say you want to do it in a year, for example. You then split it out into each month, so you know how many hours you want to grow by each month. If you know what your average um, hours per client is, you know how many clients you will take. So that tells you how many clients you will have to recruit each month. So that tells you straight away how many staff you need. So you know then how many staff you need to recruit every single month in order to hit your growth rate. So you set up, going back to what we were talking about earlier about the recruitment pipeline, you set up that recruitment pipeline 
to recruit those many staff. So, for example, on that growth rate, it might be two staff a month that you need to add. Um, you can add in a factor of the fact you'll lose some staff as well, so it might be two staff one month, three staff the next, two staff the next, then three. But the fact is you know that in advance. So you can create your recruitment activity, not just sticking a job advert on Indeed with everybody else, but all those things we talked about earlier on, 10, 20 different channels, all happening at exactly the same time, or, happening, or several of them happening at the same time, over a period of 12 months, so that you know how many people that you're getting through the door that you have targeted each time. And if you don't hit that target, you don't take on the, the additional work. If you hit above that target, which may happen and does happen, then you can take on more work. But either way, you're looking, one minute you're recruiting, taking on work, but the, you, because you've planned it in advance, you know what's coming. And you also know that it's a step, um, it's never a smooth growth, it's a step growth. So if you're starting off, you've got to do every single job until you can afford to take somebody on to help you. But if you've designed your structure, you know when that is. You know that, okay, I'm doing 200 hours now. I know I'm at 500 hours, I need to take on a care coordinator. So you can cope with that really difficult work. You can cope with the, the sleepless nights and the, the working every weekend, because you know, as soon as you hit that next mark, you can afford to take on your next person will help you, the next office member. And you can start doing that in advance. So instead of waiting until it happens, you can start putting the recruitment adverts in, trying to recruit that extra person or developing one of your current staff into that role early enough so that once you hit that mark, you can put them in place. And then it's the same as you go up along the hallways. So if we were going to action this, what are the separate plans these guys need to have in place? You need to start doing your, your, your business plan. And I mean, proper cash flow, uh, proper profit and loss, mostly cash flow, profit and loss, um, based on your growth that you've decided you want to do. That tells you how many clients you're going to um, do and how many um, staff you're going to do. So then you need to actually then drop a separate plan for the recruitment plan. So actually put your recruitment, and it's, this is not fancy stuff. This is literally saying, I'm going to do this activity each month and it's going to be multiple channels. Put your recruitment plan in place. Put your marketing plan in place. Put your quality assurance plan in place. Put your training plan. We talked earlier about the how to train each member of staff. Not just doing a tick box exercise, but actually put that in place. So again, coming back to your funnel, you're recruiting, you're putting them on into an induction, you're putting them on continuation training, and it's all part and part of that constant cycle of people coming through as you're growing that business. Well, that's been absolutely so much value. So thank you so much, you're welcome for that. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get you back on the show. Oh. Simon, where can people find you? Some people might have questions, some of the things you've touched sure. on. Sure, I mean, reach out to you. please contact me. I'm, I'm around on LinkedIn. If you search for Simon Crowley, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, and my website is careskilled, that's careskilled.co.uk. Um, you can contact me through there. Um, email me, simon at careskilled.co.uk. Um, I usually have a, a, a free sessions where I do about a 30 minute call for anybody who wants to ask any question at all. Um, you know, get on there. I've got a Facebook group, the Outstanding Home Care um, Providers. You can get on there and ask questions with other home care providers. Um, yeah, uh, feel free to, to contact me and I look forward to speaking to anybody. So yeah, that's the end of the show. Um, anything that we've discussed in terms of resources or even Simon's handles and his contact information, we'll leave in the show notes. So don't worry, you don't need to rewind and listen to that. Just one call to action for everyone. If you have enjoyed this web, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you show some appreciation and follow us on social media or subscribe to the podcast and your preferred platform. 
And that's everything from us for today. And we will see you in the next Tea with Toby.